Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. We last week looked at the first four seals, and this is the beginning of the tribulation, the great tribulation, Daniel's 70th week, Jacob's time of distress. This is for Israel. This is for the putting down of rebellion and sin. This is God's justice. This is the Lord's wrath in many ways unleashed on this earth. Thank the Lord Jesus Christ that he has paid our debt for us, that we are not under his wrath because of what he did for us at the cross. And in the midst of that, we recognize there are many people around us who do not know the Lord, do not know Christ, do not have hope, do not have a future that is secure in Christ, and as a result, they are children of disobedience, children of wrath. And when we talk about Daniel's 70th week and we talk about these seals being opened, that only Christ is able to open them, we recognize that the Lord Jesus Christ now is allowing and or literally bringing judgment to this earth in a way that has never before been seen. It is devastating. It's something that we can't even begin to really imagine. We have glimpses of it. We have glimpses of it, but from a worldwide perspective, the devastation that we're talking about in these particular passages is unequaled in human history. Now, folks, that is sobering. I mean, we're talking about North Korea, and we're talking about some of these things that are taking place in our nation in terms of a cultural stuff, the things that are happening in Charlottesville and, and the rage of, of man, so to speak, about their rights and however you want to define that, wherever you want to go with that. What we're seeing is rebellion in a pervasive way throughout this entire world and only the Lord Jesus Christ is able to deal with this and put this down and quell this as well as destroy it, if you think of it that way, because there is coming a day where he will rule and reign literally from Jerusalem over this earth. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen? Wow. Listen, we are in some amazing days and, and we're here, and we're looking up. I mean, we got Tim's tie to prove that. <laughs> That's a great tie. I don't know where Tim went. He's probably dealing with a water leak somewhere, but God bless him, you know. But the truth of the matter is, is how many people who don't have hope are fearful and scared because they wonder what's going on. I can't imagine walking through times like this without the knowledge that Jesus Christ is sovereign, that he is Lord of all, that he will bring justice. We, we see persecution taking place throughout this world in ways that are just horrific, whether it's Nigeria, whether it's the Sudan, whether it's in the Middle East. I mean, we could go on and on and on. Projections are somewhere around 100,000 believers are being killed every year for their faith. Do you realize that since the time of Christ, approximately 70 million believers have been killed for their faith? Incredible distress. Folks, don't we need to be in prayer? Don't we need to be absolutely yielded to Christ? Don't we need to be all in? See, I think of a team. And usually when I think of team, I think of the Cowboys. You know what I'm saying? It's just the <laughs> automatic, automatic. <laughs> I'm so glad Jonathan got home 
from Israel. They had a wonderful time over there, and he's exhausted, but uh, he stayed up and watched that cowboy game last night with me, you know? <laughs> I feel like I've arrived as a dad. My daughter loves to read, and Jonathan loves the cowboys. I mean, I, I, can't, I can't make it any better than that, right? But in all seriousness, when we start talking about these days and these times and we talk about team, folks, I think of the church as a body, as a team working together, right? We need the right arm functioning the way the right arm's supposed to function. We need the left arm functioning as the way the left arm's supposed to function. We need the feet working. We need all the parts of the body functioning together. And I would encourage you in this, that means giving, that means serving, that means sharing the gospel, that means equipping, that means discipleship, that means the whole thing. It's not just one part. Individually, we may be called to a specific moment. Amen, praise the Lord. But we join arms. The idea is we lock shields of faith together because the storm that this world is now going through and is about to go through, we don't know exactly when that will take place, but we can see the seething taking place throughout this whole world. We need as a body of believers, as a local church, to come together in a way that perhaps we've never come before together. And we need to be marching lockstep saying, yes, Lord, and saying whatever it is that you have for us and do it wholeheartedly our utmost for his highest, as Oswald likes to say, so that the body of Christ is unified of one mind. We are fully engaged in what it is that the Lord Jesus Christ has for us. And in the midst of it, God is being glorified in and through our lives as we love one another. That's the point. That's what a body of believers at church is all about. Folks, in the midst of this, as we look at the fifth and sixth seal. Boy, these are absolutely indescribable moments. We've looked at the first four seals, and they are the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the Antichrist, and then there's war and famine and death, and they are devastating. They are unleashed on this earth. This isn't just one particular area. This isn't just northern Africa, or this isn't just the Middle East. This is the entire world engulfed, and a quarter of humanity is killed as a result of these seals being opened. Evil, unrestrained in so many ways. It is devastating, and it's devastation of the likes of which we've only had glimpses of. But in the midst of this, we have the fifth seal, which is the tribulation martyrs. We have the sixth seal, which are natural disasters brought about by the command of God. And the question for us is how are we walking with the Lord? How are we yielding our lives to him today over and over again, simply saying, Lord, whatever you choose for me today, I will with gratefulness and with joy walk in it because I know that you'll give me the grace for it. You will strengthen me and empower me to do the very things that you request and or even command me to participate with you in the midst of. In the midst of the Antichrist's rampage on earth, along with his henchmen, these four horsemen are unleashed. There will clearly be a full attack on the Jews as well as those who believe in the word of God. 
During the first part of the tribulation, the Antichrist will wage war on those who believe in the word of God and hold to their testimony of his grace. Anybody living during that particular point in time that believe or receive the Lord Jesus Christ and they are saved, they will be under attack and they will pay with their lives. In the midst of all this horrific occurrence, all the things that are taking place, what's amazing is God's grace. There will be a worldwide revival as a multitude come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now next week and in the following weeks, we're gonna look at chapter seven and then we're gonna hit chapter 13 and then we're gonna hit chapter 20 and I joke around, it's five years from now. It won't be five years from now, but it'll be soon enough. In the midst of all of that, we learn more about these tribulation saints. We learn more about what they've undergone. We learn more about how they paid in effect with their lives for their belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to spend some time talking about these martyrs and looking at what it is that the Word reveals to us. The fifth seal is opened. We look at this in Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. He says, When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the Word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. That's an interesting word picture, isn't it? Souls under the altar. What is he talking about? Well, it really is from the Old Testament. Most of the uh, pictures that were given in Revelation are directly out of the Old Testament, and this is, uh, this is clearly the case here as well. Souls under the altar present a picture of the blood of sacrifice that was poured out at the base of the altar. When they did sacrifices in the Old Testament and they were animals, they would take the blood and they would pour it out at the base of the altar. And here we see the martyred saints as represented having shed their blood as sacrifice to the glory of God. They did so based upon their true testimony and the maintaining of their witness in spite of persecution that was so severe that it led to their death. The word martyr literally means a true witness, somebody who has uh, reputability in terms of what they're saying and what they're sharing. When we have the opportunity to witness for Christ, it is out of hearts that understand that Christ is living within us, that he is able to transform us and is at work within our lives, and therefore we can be true witnesses of the reality of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. These martyrs were willing to share. These martyrs were willing to take a stand. And he actually says they were maintaining their witness. They maintained. They held on to. It means to have, to hold. They didn't let go of it. They were willing in the midst of severe persecution to continue to share the reality of the truth of the gospel of God's grace that salvation is in Christ alone in spite of the fact that they ended up dying for that testimony. They held on to it. They were faithful. They were steadfast in what it is that they believed. 
Warren Wearsby comments on this, and he says, when the Old Testament priest presented an animal sacrifice, the victim's blood was poured out at the base of the brazen altar. In Old Testament imagery, blood represents life. That's out of Leviticus 17.11. So here in Revelation, the souls of the martyrs under the altar indicate that their lives were given sacrificially to the glory of God. Now, how do we handle that? To the glory of God. What does it mean to the glory of God? Is God some narcissist up in heaven allowing pain and suffering for people on this earth to go through horrific circumstances just so that he could be lifted up and exalted in the way that we think of it sometimes narcissistically? Is that how God functions? No, folks. When we talk about the glory of God, what we're saying is the true identity of who God really is. And when people lay down their lives and they're willing to stand for the testimony of the Lamb of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are empowered and given the grace to walk through a circumstance that is horrific and unimaginable to us. And as a result, people all around that dying saint gets to see the grace of God in action in the midst of their lives. And God is glorified because he is truly recognized for who he really is. See, we, we have a hard time thinking about this. Because we have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And so for us, it's hard to imagine what it is to go through something like that. It's hard to imagine those men in the orange jumpsuits that are about to be beheaded by ISIS crying out to Jesus and asking him that they would not go against his name. It's hard for us to imagine that. Have you ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs? It's hard to imagine that. And yet God's grace and his goodness. Look at Stephen in the book of Acts and what he went through. My goodness, when we see people suffering for the cause of Christ, we see Christ in them being brought out in a way, being glorified, where the true identity of God himself, his kindness, his goodness, his steadfastness, his love, his joy, his peace in the midst of horrific circumstances, being made known to all of those people around that dying saint in a way that is amazing. God's not some narcissist in the sky. Perish the thought. When we talk about the glory of God, we're talking about Christ on the cross where his humility is presented in a way that this world steps back and doesn't know what to do with it. Because God came to serve, God came to save. And when people begin to kill saints and saints stay steadfast and continue to maintain their testimony and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, then those people who are without God and without hope begin to watch and they get to see the reality of the truth of who God really is. It's for his glory. It's for his honor. Folks, our lives, our lives are his.
And the question is, how are we learning to die daily? How are we learning to die daily so that God begins to be revealed through us, that the glory, the true identity of who he really is begins to be seen through us so that people around us begin to understand who he really is. It's interesting what they ask the Lord in verse 10. It says, they cried out with a loud voice, a loud voice, saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? The word avenging or the idea of judging and avenging means uh, how long are you going to withhold punishment from these who have done these acts? It's interesting because they didn't ask if judgment was going to take place. They were asking when judgment would take place. Boy, the Lord is long-suffering. We know that his patience is salvation. But there will come a point where the Lord, in effect, steps in and says, that's enough. That's enough. And he will bring justice to this earth. And he will bring justice to those who refuse to submit to the Son, to the Lamb. There will be judgment. And it will be severe, folks. It will be severe. But it will be exactly what it is supposed to be. Because the Lord knows how to judge righteously. He knows how to bring justice that is equitable across the board, if you want to think of it that way. I like how they cried out and they say to the Lord, how long, O Lord? That word Lord is not the normal word that's used for Lord. Uh, We usually use the word kurios, meaning Lord or master. Here, the idea, and we tend to use this in a word that is negative, it has the idea of despot. And why do they say this? And why is it uh, something that they're saying to the Lord? Well, what they're declaring is true, that he is the Lord and that he is absolutely sovereign over everything. In the context of the tribulation, who is it that is trying to act as if they are completely sovereign and control all over the world events? It is Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, which we'll look at when we get to Revelation 13. But the Lord is the one who's in control. He's the master. He's the one that is sovereign over the universe. And they recognize this. Clearly, in the midst of their suffering and what they've gone through, they've been dealing with people that do not recognize this, that do not believe that he's the Lord and that he's the master over all. In verse 11, he says, There was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. There is an end to this, but it was continuing in and through this. I believe this is during the first three and a half years of the tribulation period of time where these events are taking place. I believe these individuals had paid for their lives. They had paid in effect with their lives for the testimony that they had concerning salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're told to wait. They're told, in effect, to rest 
because there will be an end, but yet the, the martyrs had not yet been completed, but there will be an end to this. They're given a white robe, which is interesting, and we're going to look at this further in the coming weeks in terms of when did these tribulation saints get their glorified bodies. We looked at this a couple weeks ago in terms of us. When the rapture takes place, we will be glorified, we'll be changed. We're not going to precede those who are dead in Christ first. The dead in Christ will rise first, and we will be changed. We will meet the Lord in the air, and we will receive our glorified bodies. This is the first resurrection, and the first resurrection began with the Lord Jesus Christ who resurrected from the dead and received his glorified body, and the first resurrection ends at the end of the tribulation when the tribulation saints are given their glorified bodies. The second resurrection is at the end of the millennium. When all of those who have not believed in Christ, all the unsaved from all the ages of human history are resurrected in order to stand before the great white throne judgment. That's a glimpse of where we're headed, folks. <laughs> this is amazing, amazing material. Praise God for the first resurrection. And praise God for the hope that we have in Christ to receive a glorified body and to be with him forever and ever and ever. John Walford puts it this way, spirits without substance could not wear robes. The fact that they will be given robes supports the concept that when believers die, they are given temporary bodies in heaven, an intermediate body, which are later replaced by resurrection bodies at the time of resurrection. And I would suggest under the banner of the first resurrection, there are several points of time where these glorified bodies are given to the Christ, to the church, to the tribulation saints, to all of those prior to the end of the tribulation who have believed either in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're talking about Daniel, we're talking about the Old Testament saints, even through the New Testament saints and the tribulation saints. We're going to deal with that a little bit more as we walk forward in it. The Grace New Testament commentary says this, Scripture is clear that bodily resurrection and kingdom entrance are experiences that all Old Testament, church age, and tribulation believers in Christ, both faithful and unfaithful, will enjoy. What a beautiful truth that is, folks. Do you realize what hope we have in Christ Jesus? Praise God for the hope that we have in the Lord. The fifth seal being opened is a picture of those who have been martyred for the faith, who have continued to maintain the testimony regarding their salvation in Christ alone, their salvation by grace in Christ, and have been killed as a result of it. And they ask, how long? And the Lord tells them, wait, pause, be at rest. Gives them white robes, which indicates the righteousness of their deeds and lets them know that there will be an end to what is taking place. Thank God for that. The sixth seal is an earthquake and other natural disasters, the likes of which this world 
has never seen. Verse 12, he says, I looked when he broke the sixth seal and there was, great, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair and the whole moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Has anybody ever gone through an earthquake? I, uh, was, we were in Chattanooga. Tennessee, and uh, Holland was little, I think she was about four, Jonathan may have been about one. And I woke up in the middle of the night, and uh, don't know what woke me up, went and used the restroom, came back, and um, now a little bit of uh, Christensen heritage lingo here. My wife doesn't just turn in bed. Does anybody else have this? My wife, like, literally levitates and flops. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's amazing to watch. It's amazing to behold. When she turns, it's not, oh. It's more of a boom, and the whole bed just, and there's times where I think it wakes me up, or I don't know what's going on, and I kind of wonder what happened. That in and of itself feels like an earthquake. I love you, baby. (laughs) <laughs> so I woke up and I didn't know what was going on and came back to bed and I was sitting on the edge of the bed wondering what had woken me up and all of a sudden the bed began to shake, you know, and I thought, wow, Steph, and I turned around and she was serene, she was out, man, she didn't even know what was going on and suddenly it dawned on me, oh, that must have been an earthquake, And literally, as soon as I thought that, my daughter, who was in the upstairs bedroom, about four or five years old at the time, started screaming bloody murder. I mean, the kind of scream that makes your hair just kind of... And I went sprinting up, it's okay, it's okay, everything's good, everything's good, because it was a really minor tremor, minor tremor, right? Later on, the next day, we found out that indeed it had been an earthquake. And I was glad that it wasn't my wife causing it. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and one of the news media showing up at that moment, right? <sighs> That's obviously a lighthearted way of looking at earthquakes. What we're talking about here in seal number six is an earthquake that devastates the entire globe. Now, folks, some people want to take these as non-literal, as figurative language, and they want to say, well, these expressions of natural disaster are actually talking about the government and the shakeup that's taking place within the government and the world system that is uh, beginning to be instituted by uh, the Antichrist and Satan. And I would disagree with that. I believe this is literal A great earthquake, earthquake takes place. This is the first of three within the seven-year period of time. Think about that. The sun becomes black. The moon turns blood and red, blood red in color. The stars fall to the earth. And maybe those are meteors, we don't know. But there is some type of event that is not just taking place within planet Earth, it is taking place within the entire universe. The sky is split like a scroll. Every mountain and island are moved. In other words, the face of this planet is unrecognizable as to how we would view it today. Now think about that. 
This is devastation the likes of which we have never seen. We've gotten glimpses of it, maybe World War I and World War II, when you begin to see how nation rises up against nation and the death and the famine and the poverty and all the things that took place during those times. But that is a glimpse of what we're now talking about. And when we talk about earthquakes, I don't, know if you've, uh, I don't know if you remember the tsunami that took place. I went to the epicenter in Indonesia where it had begun and the devastation that was everywhere as a result and what caused that tsunami that later on took the lives of thousands. It's indescribable. It's unimaginable. We're talking about devastation here that is literally, and we overuse this word, but this is so true to this passage, it is apocalyptic in nature. It is indescribable. And folks, the people on earth know exactly who is doing this. They understand that it's the Lamb. They understand that it's the Lord. They understand that it is the wrath of God now being poured out on this earth. Think about that. When we talk about this wrath in verse 15, John makes it very clear. He says, the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come and who is able to stand? Wow. They understand what is taking place. They understand these events, these horrific, apocalyptic, cataclysmic events, and they know that God is the one. They know the Lamb is the one. And let me ask you something. Why is it taking place? Because of the hardness of their hearts. Rather than running to the lamb, what are they doing? They're running to go find holes in the ground in order to try to hide. Because they ask this question, who can stand? And the answer is obvious. Nobody can stand in the presence of the lamb and in the presence of his wrath. Folks, if we're not forgiven and we are not cleansed by the blood of Christ, we cannot stand in the presence of God Almighty who is pure and is holy because of our unrighteousness. It is only those who have been cleansed by Christ himself who have the right to stand, to enter boldly into the very throne room of grace and to receive mercy and grace in our time of need. Nobody can stand. They refuse to repent. They refuse to believe in spite of all that they know and what is being revealed to them. Warren Wiersbe puts it this way. Have you heard of Dr. Vance Havner? He said, I once heard Dr. Vance Havner say that the day would come when the most expensive piece of real estate would be a hole in the ground. And he was right. Think about that. The wrath of the Lamb. Oh, friend, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've never received him as your personal Lord and Savior, if you've never asked him for forgiveness and to be cleansed of your sin, which he alone is able to accomplish, I dread what you may end up going through. 
Submit to the Lord now because there is coming a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Better today than in that day. Better today than in that day. Well, how do we relate this to ourselves? Because this is heavy stuff, isn't it? Heavy stuff. Let me give you two specific things for us today. As believers, we must stay steadfast to the word of God and the testimony of his grace. You catch that? We must stay steadfast to the word of God and the testimony of his grace. And we must guard one another and our own hearts and through the Holy Spirit of spiritual pride. Pure and simple. Steadfast faith. How are we holding on to? How are we maintaining the testimony that we have in Christ Jesus in the face of persecution? See, in our day and age, especially as Americans, we enjoy so many different freedoms. We enjoy so much, don't we? And boy, thank God for it. There's nothing wrong with the blessings that God blesses us with. What's wrong is when we take those blessings and we turn them into rights and then we begin to demand those blessings. <laughs> now, as Corey Tenboom says, maybe the Lord has to pry our fingers off of something and because we're holding on so tightly, it begins to hurt. When God blesses us, he does so so that we have the opportunity to bless others. So don't hold so tightly on to the blessings as if they have become our rights. Begin to give them back to the Lord and ask the Lord how he wants to use those blessings in the lives of others and how we can bless others with the blessings that we ourselves have been blessed with. How are we testifying of God's grace in the midst of persecution and are we willing to do so? Do we believe what we just sang a little bit ago so deeply that no matter the cost, we'd be willing to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in the face of unimaginable suffering and fix our eyes upon him and trust him for the grace necessary to walk through whatever has been filtered through his hands for his glory? That's the question. 2 Timothy 1, verses 8 through 9, Paul writing to Timothy, he says this to Timothy, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Wow. Don't be ashamed. How many times... Do we shrink away from declaring the counsel, the gospel, the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ? We're living in a day where we need believers to stand up, to be kind, to be gentle, but truthful and bold and courageous. Whether you're at work and they're telling you not to put up Christmas signs or whether you're at work and they're telling you not to, to pray, whether you're at school, which is starting, and they tell you, well, you can't have a Bible study or you can't pray, folks, it's time to stand up. It's time to say, we have a God who is bigger than this government or anybody that would tell us that we should not worship the king. Period. Amen. 
I don't know what's going to happen with North Korea. I don't know what's going to happen with China. I don't know how that relates to these end times in terms of Russia and Iran and the rest. We don't know that. But boy, we look at that. And folks, if that doesn't cause you to look up, I don't know what will. If that doesn't cause you to get your priorities and life straightened out and begin to say, Lord, how do you want me to use my time? How can I pour every fiber of energy into what it is that you have for me? I don't know what will. Have we become so hard of heart, so deaf to the gospel and the truth of God's grace that we're not even bothered by these things any longer? Or do we recognize it and immediately go to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, Lord, how do you want me to submit to you? How do, we, how do you want me to walk with you in the midst of these trying times? How, Lord, would you glorify yourself, your life through mine? Lord, here I am. Use me. Spiritual pride is one of the greatest struggles. We see it in unbelievers. We see it in these people who refuse to bow to the lamb, who would rather go find a cave to hide in, as if somehow they could, from the wrath of the lamb. And folks, that is a part of our fabric. That is a part of our flesh. Thank God one day we're going to get glorified bodies, and our glorified bodies won't have to, we won't even have to think about that any longer. Spiritual pride will not be a part of who we are. Praise the Lord. Anybody else on that one? Amen. <laughs> But in the midst of our day and in our age, we need to protect, we need to guard, we need to encourage one another, stimulate one another to good works, and we need to make sure that we are arm in arm, locked together, and walking in the sufficiency of Christ, not our own sufficiency. How many times do I hear in so many different uh, ways, whether it's through articles, whether it's through emails, I get so many emails about how to build this church. It's indescribable. Yeah, really, it's incredible. If you just accept our uh, process and, oh, by the way, pay X amount of dollars for it, we will help you, et cetera, and on and on and on. But how are we taking credit? How do we take credit? You can fill in the blank. How is it that we're walking with the Lord and we are proud of our accomplishments? We are proud of our activity. We are proud of what we consider to be our success. Oh, folks, we need to repent of that. It is sin, pure and simple. The Lord Jesus Christ is the shepherd, and he will build his church. The question is, how are we walking with him? How are we following him? How are we testifying about him and his greatness? Folks, in our day and age, we have so many challenges, and yet with that, we have so many opportunities to see God at work, to experience the Lord in our own lives. Boy, let's not waste time. Let's not look back with regret. Let's move forward in Christ and experience the Lord and his power and his strength and his majesty and his might, his transforming ability within our lives. Let's walk with him day by day, moment by moment, fully yielded to him, trusting him to give us the very grace necessary to do the very things that he asks of us or commands of us. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. 